Well, good evening. Tonight we're continuing our series on gossip. Gossip. And uh, if you have your handout, uh, you'll see that we have our definition in there again. For gossip, we defined it this way. Bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. You've probably noticed that bad news travels really, really fast, right? Maybe because you've heard bad news about someone or because you've been the one. You're one of the reasons that it can travel fast because you're carrying it. You're a tail bearer, meaning you carry around stories as we've defined before. But bad news travels fast. Just a few weeks ago, I was supposed to be upstairs uh, speaking to, uh, the, I think, the 7th through 12th grade chapel. Uh, but I was on a phone call, and the phone call kept going, and uh, as some of my phone calls do. Anyway, and I, I forgot about chapel just completely. It completely slipped my mind. Uh, Brother Kay had to fill in for me on the spot. And uh, ironically, and I made up for it today, I had chapel today and actually made it there early and everything, and uh, had this just incredible, uh, profound talk that I gave them. But uh, ironically, on the day that I missed chapel, I was going to talk to the students about personal responsibility. (laughs) Obviously, it was good that I decided not to do that. I I shared that with Tanner Wald, and one of the lessons you learn about gossip is you got to be careful who you trust, right? And that evening at church, like 10 or 12 teenagers came up to me and made joking references to personal responsibility. And some of these people had never even talked to me before. I didn't know who they were. But bad news travels fast, right? There's something about finding out something even maybe humorously embarrassing about somebody else we just want to share. And obviously, I don't think... That was sinful gossip because it wasn't necessarily out of a bad heart, at least I hope. But anyway, when it comes to more serious things, it can actually travel just as fast, can't it? And by the end of the day, everyone knows something that happened, or maybe in some cases, something that didn't happen. But they know about a misrepresentation of it. And that's because gossip sort of feels inevitable. If you're addicted to gossip, when you're exposed to it, you have this feeling inside of you that says, I have to tell this to somebody else. I cannot keep this to myself. That's a lie, of course, but it's a lie that we believe. It 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 takes incredible root in our hearts. Gossip feels inevitable. But like all temptations, as the Apostle Paul promises us, God does provide a way of escape. So uh, resistance can happen, and it can be successful. That's good news for Christians. And that's really what what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, is how to resist the temptation of gossip, at least the next couple weeks. And then after that part of our series, we're going to talk about responding to gossip. Not the temptation to participate in it, but what do you do when you've been gossiped about? Like, how do you get over that as a follower of Jesus 
when either you've done something wrong and everybody knows, or maybe you didn't do anything wrong and everybody thinks you have. How do you respond to that? Well, that's going to be toward the tail end of our series. But the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about resisting gossip. And tonight, we're going to talk about this. How to resist, how to fight back against one of gossip's key allies. Sinful judgment. Sinful judgment. How many of you, if, if I could just get a show of hands, how many of you remember the date and year? You don't have to say it out loud, but how many of you know off the top of your head the date and the year that the Taliban uh, attacked and took down the World Trade Centers? Just raise your hands. All right, most of you. Well, the problem is, of course, that didn't happen. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, don't worry. Uh, the, the Taliban did not execute an attack to take get down the World Trade Centers because they actually didn't know about the attack. It was Al-Qaeda. But as you've now just realized, the last 21 years, a lot of us get Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, a, a different terrorist organization, completely confused, don't we? You just did. I, I caught you. That was fun. Now, now, why does that happen? Well, the reason is... Um, if you wanted, let's do some geopolitical history. When we went to war against Al-Qaeda, it just so happened we also had to go to war against the Taliban. The Taliban was a larger umbrella organization that gave uh, refuge and safe harbor to bin Laden's group known as Al-Qaeda. So uh, strategically, if we were going to take out Al-Qaeda, we had to fight who? The Taliban. And that's why most people have been getting the two confused ever since. At least in the West, we would get them confused. If you lived in the Middle East, you definitely would not. But uh, the Taliban was such a key ally in protecting and harboring Al-Qaeda that the two sort of became interspersed, at least in our minds. And here's, here's the truth. We're not talking about geopolitics tonight. Here's the truth you have to grasp onto. The Taliban of gossip is sinful judgment. When we have this hard attitude of sinful judgment, this craving, this desire to stand in judgment over other people's souls, to be their judge, jury, and executioner, to decide whether or not they are guilty and innocent, when we obsess over this craving for sinful judgment in our hearts, gossip will find a home in our mouths. And here's the truth. If you want to go to war against gossip, then you have to be willing to fight sinful judgment. Because as long as sinful judgment remains in power, it's going to provide a safe place for gossip to thrive. So in talking about resisting gossip, tonight we're talking about how to resist this sinful judgment. Most, if not all, gossip includes the sin of judging others. And you may be thinking, wait, is, is all judgment sinful anyway? Well, no. And though we could spend a whole, we could probably spend a whole sermon on this, I'll clarify something for you really quickly and then we'll uh, move on. It is true that if we look at Scripture, in some places it appears that we are told to judge, where uh, Paul encourages us to have righteous judgment. And then in other places, it seems like we're told not to judge, like by Jesus, right? Jesus said, judge not. And yet we're supposed to have righteous judgment. 
Well, how can those two things work together? Well, here's, here's a, a helpful distinction that I think will uh, encourage you. Wise judgment, godly judgment, Christian judgment, means practicing careful discernment. Practicing careful discernment. Um, if you're going to have somebody watch your kids, and uh, you find out that uh, they have a history of, like they're a homicidal maniac, uh, you need to apply discernment before you agree to go ahead and have them watch your kids, right? Is there anything sinful with that? No. Actually, you'd be, by putting them in, in danger, you would be sinning by having a lack of discretion, which again, this is talked about in Proverbs. Wise judgment means practicing careful discernment or discretion, but sinful judgment is something else. Sinful judgment is issuing sentence over people's souls, condemning or clearing them. Sinful judgment means putting yourself in a place where you decide whether or not people are worthy, whether they're worthy of your love, whether they are worthy of life, whether they are worthy to be gossiped about and slandered. Wise judgment, wise discernment is just doing our job, right? But sinful judgment is trying to do God's job. You see, God, by the way, decides how people will reap what they sow. God God decides if somebody does something wrong or maybe there's a rumor of them doing something wrong, God in his providence decides how their reputation will pan out. Not you and me. That's God's job. That's not our job. When somebody sins or when someone is rumored to have sinned, God decides how they will be known, how they will be recognized, what their name will stand for. That's not my job. And it's not your job. So uh, the Bible kind of judgment, righteous judgment means discernment. Sinful judgment, which is what we're going to be talking about tonight, is not our job. It's trying to make God's job our job. It's sentencing people and deciding what kind of punishment you're going to give them. And when it comes to gossip, sinful judgment means sentencing people in your heart and then deciding how they will be talked about behind their back, as if you have the right to make that decision. Now, if you, if you remember our, uh, the gallery of gossips we had last week, uh, no matter which one you identified with the most, uh, each one, there's a good chance that sinful judging is part of the problem. Let me explain. If you're like the spy, the spy tries to wrangle information out of other people. They're always looking for dirt. They're always collecting blackmail on other people. The, the spy does that by trying to get the people they're talking to to feel judgmental. That's how they pull information out of people, by making people feel like judging. The, the grumbler. The grumbler has decided in his heart that the person he is talking about is wrong and deserves to be complained about. They deserve to be pointed out. They deserve the slander that they're about to receive. They've earned this because of what they've done. The grumbler is also practicing sinful judgment. The backstabber. The backstabber. The backstabber has this mindset that this person, because of what they've done to me, because of how I've been wrong, because of how they have sinned, they deserve to have their reputation destroyed, and I'm going to make sure it happens. 
I'm going to mete out that punishment because I'm the judge over their lives and I've decided that's what should happen in their future because that's my job. You see how the backstabber is a judge? The chameleon listens in and is satisfied by the sinful judgments of others. The chameleon may not initiate a lot of gossip, but they like to listen into it while other people are practicing sinful judgment. And then there's the busybody. The busybody escapes boredom and idleness by issuing judgments about other people, by passing sentence on their lives. There's a strong connection between sinful judgment and gossip, and we see it clearly uh, in the book of James, James chapter 4. We're not going to explain all of James chapter 4. We'll get to that eventually on Sunday mornings. But if if you go to James chapter 4, look at verse number 11. James writes, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Do you see what James is connecting here? He's connecting these uh, twin sins, these key allies on the battlefield of sinful judgment and gossip. Clearly, James is not talking about discretion or discernment, right? When he asks about judging, he's talking about sinful judgment. And he makes it clear that this is a kind of playing God. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one who has the right to save and destroy. But James is saying, when you slander, when you speak evil about other people, you are acting like it is your role in this world to save and destroy. Of course, that's not our role, but that's the mindset we have when we practice sinful judgment. Uh, This Greek word, kataleleo, means to speak against someone. It can mean to talk them down in front of others, to speak ill of them. Uh, One of the ways it it can be translated is to run someone down verbally. You may not run people down physically, but we can run them down verbally. That's what James is talking about. You see, sinful judgment, according to James, is the Taliban for the Al-Qaeda of gossip. It harbors and supports and protects the sin that we do with our speech. And where there is the hard attitude of sinful judgment, you will always find the life pattern of gossip. Always. Well, if if we want to unseat sinful judgment, we have to understand it. If we want to fight it, we have to know what it looks like. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. What does it look like when you and I practice this sinful judgment? When we fall into this trap, um, what, what is that going to look like? Well, number one, it looks like this. Uh, and this will be in your handout, rushing to judgment. We're, we're probably practicing sinful judgment and not godly discernment when we are rushing to judgment. Much of gossip involves hastily declaring someone's guilt and determining their punishment, or at least what we think should be their punishment. And we often do that with very little information. Have you noticed that? Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse verse 17. It speaks into this tendency. He that is first in his own cause seemeth just, but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him. People can be really confident about their, their first or their initial thoughts, their first impressions. 
But, but sometimes those things are proved to be less than reliable when you get a second set of eyes or maybe a second set of ears on what's being said. One of the key differences between wise discretion and sinful judgment is that with the latter, when it comes to sinful judgment, we often feel like we have the whole story when we only have part of the story. Or sometimes, and this is worse, we act like we have the whole story when we have part of the story. Have you ever been gossiping about someone and the person you're gossiping to asks you a clarifying question? Well, what about this? And it just occurred to you, you'd not thought about that part of the story. So you go ahead and answer as if you know. Well, you know, I think they probably, and then you just make something up like you're writing a script for a movie. But you're talking about someone's life, right? And you feel free to not only throw in that detail, which is guesswork and speculation, but you do it with a sense of authority because after all, you want to be a good, you want to be known as a good storyteller. You're good at having dirt on people. You want these people that listen to you to trust you. So you guess or you speculate and you say, well, I think it might be, and you have no idea what you're talking about. Now, now listen, why do you get in those situations where you feel like there's gaps in the story you have to fill? Because you're working with little or partial information. By the way, not only should you probably not be sharing that story, the story, the, the story that you're sharing isn't even a full story. It's a half story at best. But you'll share it and you'll use creative license to fill in the blanks. Because, why? You're rushing to judgment. Number one, we rush to judgment when we don't consider the source. When we don't consider the source. Well, I I heard this blah, blah, blah. Where'd you hear it from? Now, there's something really annoying that I I do. I've done it with my wife. It really gets on her nerves. But she'll say, hey, I read this article. And I stop her and say, okay, what's the article? And what's the source, right? Right? Because people, like, they'll share things on Facebook, and, you know, instead of NBC.com, it's like NBC.net, or New York Times with an extra S. By the way, don't get on those websites, or you're going to get hacked. You're going to get a virus. What are you doing? It's not a real news organization if it's misspelled, but people will share stuff. And they'll say stuff like, oh, this is really big, if true. And it's really wild and outlandish, but, of course, they're not considering the source. You're rushing to judgment if you have hearsay or secondhand information or maybe just bad information. We should treat that stuff with caution. We should treat that stuff with the kind of metaphorical hazmat suit. We shouldn't be sharing it with other people. Number two, we rush to judgment when we assume motives. We're rushing to judgment when we assume motives. You know, you and I are not mind readers. And we know that. If you're married, you know that. If you grew up with siblings, you know that. We're not mind readers. But, for some reason, when we talk about negative things going on in other people's lives, when we practice the sin of gossip, we can posture as if we are mind readers by pretending we have some sort of special insight into people's motives. Well, I think they did this because, after all, well, because, you know, I think they wanted, they were thinking, here's what they were trying to do. We assume we know their motives. Don't do that. 
Don't do that. You're rushing to judgment. You're practicing sinful judgment when you assume people's motives. We cannot see the inside of other people's hearts. We don't know at the end of the day what makes them tick. And we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 13 later, but as it says there, we believe all things. That, that doesn't mean be ignorant, but it means be charitable. Believe the best in people. If someone tells you what their motives are, you should believe them until they're proven guilty. When I say proven guilty, I don't mean you hear some rumor. I, I mean you have like a set of incontrovertible facts that means they're wrong. But otherwise, you've got to take people for their word. Don't act like a mind reader. Sometimes, again, it can be obvious that people are lying about their motives if there's a pattern of discernible behavior. But we don't read people's motives just because it makes a story juicier. That is so dangerous. It's so destructive. Assuming motives, this this actually happens in the Bible, by the way. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but toward the beginning of the Israelite conquest in the book of Joshua, uh, Assuming others' motives almost put Israel in civil war. There, there were three tribes, including Reuben, that if you remember, as they had beaten most of their enemies, they had put most of them down, they had taken most of the cities in that area of Palestine. Some of the, three of the tribes, known as the Transjordan tribes, went back across the Jordan River to start inhabiting some of the land. And when they did that, by the Jordan River, they had left an altar. Okay? Now, the other tribes saw what they did, and what did they do? They asked them what their motives were. No, they didn't, unfortunately. They assumed that the altar was going to replace the Jewish sacrificial system. Like, they were going to have their own tabernacle. They were going to do their own worship. They were going to have their own laws. They were going to throw out the Ten Commandments and everything. So what did they do? They started gathering for war. They didn't know what the altar meant. They never asked what the altar meant. They assumed they knew what it meant. And there was almost bloodshed, but thankfully, the tribes that gathered at Shiloh sent a delegation to talk to the Transjordan tribes, and they found out it was just a memorial altar to remind them of what was on the other side of the river. That's all it was. And a terrible, bloody civil war in the early history of Israel was averted. Thankfully, thankfully, before they started taking lives, they checked. But sometimes you and I don't check, do we? Sometimes we say it as if we know what the motives of the person are that we're talking about, but we don't know. We're assuming, and, we, and it's very destructive to do that. Let me ask you this. What situations are you tempted to gossip about right now. If you go out to eat with someone, you're, you're catching up with them, you haven't talked to them in a long time, what, situ- what negative, messy, bloody situations are you hoping they will ask you about? Now, you're not going to initiate it. You're not going to bring it up yourself, but you're hoping they ask you about this because, man, it is such a terrible mess. You want to get into it and you want to be the expert on it, right? What are those situations that come to your mind as I, as I describe that? What half stories make you ready to pass sentence on somebody else? What have you heard that makes you want to be a judge? Listen, your first interpretation may not be right. The motives that you are assuming you can read and understand, you might be totally wrong. 
Believing the best about someone, by the way, doesn't mean sticking our heads in the sand and pretending nothing bad ever happens. No, we shouldn't do that. But listen, if you and I stopped rushing to judgment, how much of our gossip would that immediately just cut out overnight? Number two, another characteristic of sinful judgment is this, prideful judgment. Prideful judgment. We know we're practicing sinful judgment and not godly discernment when we have prideful judgment. Look again at James chapter 4 and verse 12. We read it just a moment ago. Uh, James writes, there is one lawgiver, James chapter 4 verse 12, who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? When we find ourselves judging sinfully, here's what we're doing. We're acting as if we have the power to save and destroy. That we have the right to decide who's innocent and who's guilty and to determine what should happen to them because of it. We act as if it should be our job in the universe to decide what comeuppance means for whom. In other words, we're acting as if we are God. But of course, we're not The Lord calls us to be servants of others. The Lord calls us to love others. The Lord calls us to be patient toward others and forgive others. But when we are tempted to do this, instead we want to be their earthly judge. We get into these kinds of situations because of our own pride. Because of how it makes us feel better about ourselves. That we think less of them and we also want other people to think less of them. Now, here are some great questions to determine whether or not you're doing this, whether or not your judgment is really prideful judgment. Number one, is this my place? Before I issue this sentence, before I spread this story, before I form this opinion about this other person, is this my place to do this? Number two, is this my job? There are, I'll clarify later, there are certain jobs we can be given to have a temporary sense of judgment, a, a God-given role to discern things. But we need to ask, is this my job? Number three, am I part of this situation? What part? That's an important question. There are some situations, friends, we are not a part of and we should not become a part of them. Solomon says that that some situations, if you jump in without having any business to jump in, it's like taking a dog by the ears. Don't do that, by the way. That's a bad idea. Don't literally take a dog by the ears. But listen, metaphorically, we do that all the time, don't we? We see a messy situation with human beings, with other people, even with people in our families or in the church, and it's like there's this group of fighting dogs, and we're jumping into the middle and grabbing them by the ears. That's what you're doing when you gossip. That's what you're doing when you're making judgment about something that you don't really have a part in. It doesn't affect you. It's not part of your life, not part of your responsibility. And that's really question number four. Is judging this person my calling, my responsibility? Good questions to ask if you want to diagnose whether or not you have prideful judgment. And if the answer to any of those questions, friends, is no, we need to cut it out. We're not practicing discernment. We're practicing sinful judgment because it's prideful judgment. And there are times when God calls us to temporarily serve as judges in unique situations. All right? If you could call on jury duty, you're going to have to decide someone's innocence or guilt. That's part of the state. Romans 13, it's ordained by God for you to do that. If you're a police officer, you're going to be regularly in situations where you need to issue judgments. Again, that is appointed by God. If you're a parent and there's an altercation between your children, 
You have to mediate that. Or tell your wife to mediate it, right? It's like, Hannah, I, I don't want to be judgy, so why don't you take care of this? Not, not a good excuse. You may be asked to, to, to mediate a legal dispute with, with other parties. And in those cases, you need to step up to the plate and do what God has called you to do. But friends, when we're talking about gossip, we're not talking about any of those things, right? When, when you're passing judgment on people that you don't really have a responsibility to do, you don't have a part in, you're acting as if you are God. Look, look at Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 and, and verse 12. Jesus says, Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And given this command, we can even ask some more questions about our judgment to, to make sure that we're not being hypocritical here. Number one, how do I want others to judge me? How do I want others to judge me? Number two, with what standard? Jesus talks about this, by the way, earlier in chapter 7 in the famous judge not passage. Don't hold, we could paraphrase Jesus in chapter, in verses one through five by saying, don't hold other people to a standard that you don't want to be held to yourself. It's going to lead to some bad things. Number three, with what tone? With what tone? What kind of tone do I want people to judge or discern me with? Number four, with what attitude do I want to be judged? Now, if your answers to those questions disqualify how you are judging other people, then you're practicing prideful judgment. Prideful judgment, as opposed to wise discretion, has no time for these questions. It just wants to pass sentence on other people. That's why it's often, by the way, part of hypocrisy, or at least connected to it. There's a story of a man and his wife who uh, look out their window on a Saturday evening, and uh, uh, the neighbor lady is hanging out the laundry to dry on the clothesline. And the wife tells her husband, you know, I, I, I don't know what her problem is, but she does not know how to clean laundry. I mean, look at that. It sucks. That's terrible. Look at how dirty and, and messy and, and wrinkly it is. I, I need to go over and teach her how to do laundry. It's awful. Well, the husband sits there and he doesn't say anything. The next week, the same thing happens. It's Saturday afternoon. Their neighbor lady is hanging laundry. She, uh, the wife looks over through the window and she says, wow. It's terrible again. What is she doing? Maybe she's, maybe she's using the wrong soap. Maybe I should give her some of my soap and I can, I, I can show her how to use it so her laundry won't be so bad. The next week, the neighbor lady's out there again. The wife looks through the window and there she is hanging out laundry and, and the, the wife tells her husband, maybe they, need, maybe they need a new washing machine. That is just absolutely awful. How could anyone be so bad at doing laundry? The next week, the wife looks out the window she sees her neighbor lady hanging laundry and she says, wow, that looks great. Somebody figured out that this woman needed help and they showed her how, how to clean her laundry. And she tells her husband, can you believe how good that looks? I wonder what she did different. And the husband says, oh, I cleaned the window yesterday. <laughs> now listen, listen. This is why Jesus t- says, before you become an eye surgeon... Take out the beam or the log that is sticking out of your own. One of the reasons, one of the reasons that your prideful judgment about others is so negative is because your windows are so dirty. And what you look through in your own life will determine how you see other people that butt up against 
your life. Some of us may be just need to clean our windows. Prideful judgment sees the world as your courtroom, all people as defendants, and your sentencing the final word. Number three, there's one more kind of sinful judgment, and that is unloving judgment. We know that our judgment is sinful and not wise discretion if it can be done without love. Uh, Look with me to 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians and chapter 13. We'll begin in verse number 4. When Paul uses the word charity, he means love. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity. Does that sound like gossip? But rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things. Believeth all things. Hopeth all things. Endureth all things. Charity never faileth. Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. You see, love in the heart will never tolerate gossip in the mouth. If our judgment is unloving, then it is sinful judgment. Love and gossip just don't go together. Do you know why? Do you know why that is? Have you ever thought about that? Why they're so incompatible? I mean, Paul says it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but why is that? Because when we're gossiping, like, iniquity is it's like the juicy. That's the good stories, right? People messing up is what we want to talk about. It's the opposite of what Paul says love does. Why are they so incompatible? Well, if I love my neighbors, I'm not going to be excited when either they displease God or their life is falling apart. Because if they're displeasing God, God isn't excited about that. And if their life is falling apart, God's not excited about that. Why? God loves them. That's not going to become entertainment for me if I love them. If I love my neighbors, I'm not going to be spreading rumors about whether or not they're about to get a divorce. Why? Because I want to rejoice in that. Not if I love them. If they're having struggles with their kids, if they're having trouble in school, I'm not going to be spreading that around because I would find no joy in that if I loved them. If they're having financial strains or they're racking up credit card debt, I'm not going to publish that story. Not if I love them. You see, to love someone, to love someone is to want the best for them and to be willing to sacrifice to make that happen. That's love. It's sort of C.S. Lewis's definition. Now, if I love someone, if I, in other words, let's think about it like this. Let's break it down. If I want the best for them, and I'm willing to sacrifice so that to the best of my ability, they, they can have the best, how in the world does gossip play into that? Where does sharing bad stories about them behind their back fit in? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't. Gossip will either cancel love or, friends, love will cancel out gossip. 
but they both will not be able to abide the same heart. After all, isn't this how Jesus loves us? Isn't the ultimate definition of 1 Corinthians 13 love found in Jesus Christ? And does Jesus gossip about us? I mean, could you imagine? Now, there is an accuser in Scripture. There's someone that's named the accuser, but it's not Jesus. Now, isn't that amazing? Because Jesus has ultimate power. He has ultimate influence, right? Not only that, he knows all the dirt on us. No one is in a better position to destroy your reputation or ruin your name or change what other people think about you than Jesus is. But Jesus doesn't gossip about you. And not only that, you don't have to be afraid when you go to bed tonight that tomorrow he's going to start. You know why that is? Because he loves you. And because he loves you, you and I know it's ridiculous to even think about him gossiping about you. Friends, it should be just as ridiculous for our brothers and sisters to worry that we would gossip about them if we have the love of Christ that, as Romans says, has been poured out and is overflowing in our hearts for each other. It should be unthinkable. They shouldn't worry that you would gossip about them or even listen to gossip about them because you have the love of Jesus, and Jesus would never do that. Jesus does not delight in evil, even though he knows about evil, and he loves us. And because he loves us, he doesn't gossip. I want you to look back over the handout at these different versions of sinful judgment. I want you to ask what you struggle with the most. Is your biggest problem rushing to judgment? If that's the case, you need to remember how patient God is to you. Is your your issue maybe prideful judgment? Then, friends, you need to remember how low you are and be humbled. Is your problem unloving judgment? Well, if that's the case, you need to remember how loved you are by God. But no matter which particular brand we have trouble with, the reason we practice sinful judgment at the end of the day, James told us already, it's because we try to play God. Turn your Bibles to Genesis in chapter 50, and we'll, we'll close here. Genesis chapter 50. The life of Joseph is an incredible story, not only because it somewhat parallels the life of Jesus, but it's one of the most encouraging uh, biographies that we have in the book of Genesis. Joseph wasn't perfect, but the way he uh, survived difficulty and temptation and hatred and betrayal without succumbing to resentment is one of the greatest success stories in the Bible. Joseph has been betrayed by his brothers. He then comes to power in Egypt. He forgives them, lets them live there. And now Jacob has died, so his brothers are are getting a little bit worried. Look at verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall he say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. Dad said you had to forgive us, right? And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spoke unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we be thy servants. Joseph said unto them, Fear not. For am I in the place of God? 
But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly unto them. If, you're, if you've read through Genesis a lot, you've maybe noticed that there's a bookend with a Joseph story. Bookend number one, here's how Joseph's life starts. His brothers spoke mean to him. Back in Genesis chapter 36. Here's how the Joseph story ends. He spoke kindly to them. Completely turned around. Joseph is, let's just think about this for a second, okay? <laughs> Does Joseph have a sufficient amount of dirt on his brothers? He happens to be the second most influential and powerful man in what was the greatest civilization of the time on the globe, right? They are completely at his mercy. Not just that he can do something to them, but but really... How they are perceived in Egypt is completely in Joseph's hands. The one that they have offended most, the one that they have betrayed most, he has their reputation, their livelihood, their everything in his hands. And you know what he does with it? He gives it to God. Why? Because of how he answers this question. Am I in the place of God? Now listen, hold on. I know we're inspired by Joseph's story, but listen to me. When you gossip and when you listen to gossip, here's what you're doing. You're saying yes to that question. What you and I are saying when we gossip and when we listen to gossip, we're saying this. I am in the place of God. I do want to decide what's going to happen to this person. I do want to decide how they will be known. I do want to decide how they will be thought of. I get to decide. I'm going to sentence their reputation. I'm going to determine their punishment. So I'm going to spread that story. I'm going to listen to that story. I'm going to share this piece of bad news behind their back. Why? Because I'm the judge. Listen, listen. Because Joseph understood he wasn't God, he was able to be hurt and be betrayed and be wronged without trying to tear people's lives apart that did it to him. That's the truth that Joseph understood. And that's the truth that we're going to understand, that we're going to have to understand if we're going to combat sinful judgment. Because as long as you and I try to take God's place, here's what we're saying. We're saying we're not satisfied with how God has decided to run the world. Now, do you really want to say that? I know that's really heavy. I get it. There's really no way around it. But, but in James chapter 4, James is really heavy. He's the one that said you're acting like God. And if we take Joseph's answer seriously, and if we're going to be honest about our own lives, then friends, it means that in some situations, we are taking the place of God. I have two questions for you tonight. This is how I want you to respond to the message, by answering these two questions. And then depending on how you answer them, I want to invite you to come and pray. Question number one, with how you've been practicing gossip I want to know if it's an indicator of this. Have you been acting as if you are in the place of God? Have you been acting as if you are in the place of God? Then number two, if you've done that, either by entertaining gossip or by spreading gossip, 
by harboring resentment, by trying to tear other people down? Are you willing to put other people back into God's hands where they belong? Are you willing to just tell God, you know, God, I've been trying to run your world. (laughs) I've been trying to decide and determine what people deserve. But God, I'm done with that. I'm going to take this and I'm going to give it back to you. Would you be willing to do that tonight if that's the case in your heart? If so, come and pray. Let's, Let's all stand.